0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode seventy-six of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. As always, joined by my best friend George Brazard. What's up? Nothing, dude. I want to put you on blast for a second and What's say me on blast. Yeah, no one knows this, I don't think, but George has been <laughs> doing the documents for the podcast for like months, and I realize we never said that. So, good job, George. You took on a big responsibility and you never got credit for it. And I felt bad (laughs) about that. I don't know what made me think of it either. I was just like, George has been doing this for a while and we've never mentioned it. (laughs) But now I'm going to mention that we haven't done an episode in a month, but you probably noticed we have severely upgraded audio quality. I don't know if that's a good word to use because that's not like a positive word. It's not like
1: a negative thing. So
0: we were using these Blue Yetis that... Have a shelf life, I did not realize, of a couple of years. Like when you talk into Blue Yetis, your spit gets onto the mic inside of that, like little dome, and it just kills it. So that's why our progressively over the years, our audio got fuzzier and shittier, especially <laughs> considering I brought that thing home like on planes a couple times. So we both bit the bullet. We got this great uh audio mixer called a Focusrite Scarlet. We got Audio Technica AT2035. So, we went the full mile on this one. So, no more bitching about the audio quality because <laughs> I know it's better. I know it for a fact. <laughs> so, uh, George, do we have any reviews or emails from the past three weeks to a month? Because I don't remember how long it's been.
1: Uh, yeah, we do have one new review from C 3283 Uh, who said, I love the pod, but... Hello, Uh sirs. Love the podcast. I've been listening for a long time now. I discovered the podcast through Jimmy's YouTube channel. Anyway, I'd like to just make one suggestion. I'm a horror fan, as I'm sure a majority of your listeners are. Can you guys please put the gaming content at the back end of the show? I find myself getting bored and losing interest during these segments. Anyway, love you guys. P.S. Jimmy. Could you show us more details, slash a tour of your room, slash YouTube studio?
0: Okay, so... This is a multi-part review. So the first thing to say is thank you for watching my YouTube channel. Second, um, no, we're not going to stop with the gaming content because it's fun for us to talk about. And I talk about movies exclusively on my YouTube channel. So we put music breaks between the, the, the gaming stuff and then the horror stuff. And then we put another music break between the horror stuff and the review. So just skip ahead. Like, we only talk about the gaming stuff for, like, 20 to, like, 25 minutes tops out of an hour, hour and a half podcast. And it's fun for us to talk about. And we've gotten a so, lot of positive
1: feedback on the gaming yes. portion as well. So
0: We did that as a direct response to the community, where after we talked about a game once, we got a bunch <laughs> of emails that were like, hey, talk about games more. So we're like, "Yeah." Right. <laughs> so, unfortunately, I have to decline your, off- your request, not offer. You don't offer us anything. Um, but... I will do a room tour at 50,000 subscribers. That's the threshold. Big milestone to look forward to. to. Yeah, I'm already about to hit 22,000 subs. So I'm almost halfway there. So that's see it any day now. Yeah, I'm working on doing things other than just news. So I did my Scary Stories video and everyone thought it was a review, which did not help. But it did okay. Not for how much work I put into it. That was really disappointing. I put a lot lot of work into that video. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's not a review. I went through the books and meticulously looked through every single story and matched them up with the movies. And I found some that other people didn't. I also got some great B-roll shots. Just because I think of when I posted it, people thought it was a review. It's not a review. I don't do new movie reviews. (laughs) I'm not doing that shit anymore because it's cheap content. And I'm sick of competing with... I'm sick of competing with people who consistently get things wrong and have worse video and audio quality and editing skills than me. Like, it's like, why am I putting all this work in when I'm just competing with, like, the algorithm, feeding my shit out based entirely on luck, you know? Right. So, working on some bigger stuff. I wrote this insanely cool Blair Witch Project video. It's talking about why it's scary, what makes it scary, why it was such a big deal when it came out. And if it does well, I'll do a part two about the sequel that came out in 2016 that people are wrong about. But that's what's going on on my YouTube channel. Do we have any new reviews or emails besides the one you read?
1: No, that was the the last one we got.
0: All right. So if you want to send in your own review... Uh, you can send it to fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. We really appreciate it if you rated the show on iTunes because that's how their algorithm works. It'll get looped in with all the other big horror podcasts of which I do not know any. So, George, coming off of that review, <laughs> what video games have you been playing in the past month? Uh, well, I just tonight actually beat Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on Switch. Yeah, Nice. It's pretty yeah. hard at the end. It gets like, it, go, it goes from like a 5 to a 9 in terms of difficulty.
1: Yeah, I, there are definitely a few difficulty spikes. Um, the Doctor Strange Dormammu area is really one of the more difficult ones. Uh, and then the last like level of the game is basically just a boss rush, where yeah. you're know, fighting boss after boss. Um, some of them being harder than others, like I hit a little bit of a wall with one of the bosses and had to go grind out some of the rift challenges and use some oh, of the, yeah. uh, XP cubes to actually get my guys up to like level forty so they could hang.
0: I was using the XP cubes throughout my entire playthrough. So I was always just like slightly over leveled compared to mm-hmm. every enemy I was fighting. That helped a lot. But it kind of feels like cheating, doesn't it? Don't they feel like there were supposed to be microtransactions at some point?
1: That that kinda lends credence to the idea we were talking about of like this kind of <laughs> being like a mobile game. Yes. Like looking like a mobile game. You possibly... called that so yeah. early. <laughs> so, like, I could see the in-app uh, in, in app purchase of, like, buy 100 Cosmic Cubes and level your guys up to 50 immediately. Like, I could see that being a aspect of the game, but that's not in there. Um, and I had enough to get my guys up to level 40, which got me through that one boss, and then
0: I one-shot every other boss through the rest of the game. Um. I'd rather drink Drano than see microtransactions in a first-party <laughs> Nintendo game. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, I think throw de- that out there. <laughs>
1: de- definitely smart to leave that out. Um, but but I like the game overall. I, I thought it was good. Um, it it kind of dragged in some spots near the end. Like I think I had more fun playing it like when I first picked it up to like when I finished it. I think I was kind of done with it. Like I wish it was maybe like an hour or two shorter.
0: Yeah, but- me too. I finished it pretty soon after it came out because i ended up getting fire emblem and i started fire emblem and then i was like uh-oh i'm never gonna go back to marvel ultimate alliance <laughs> unless i beat it so i used the last free weekend of the summer which i did not know it was to fi- to finish that game and it's pretty good like i'd give it a solid 7.5 you know like it feels like it's like the five guys of video games where you it's know good. it's really bad for you but it tastes good <laughs> yeah
1: so I-, I thought that was good uh other than that i picked up Uh, Started a little bit of the Wolfenstein and the Youngbloods.
0: Oh yeah, I got you that for your birthday. George is 26 years old now.
1: Yeah, old man, officially. Put it on my tombstone. Um, (laughs) So, uh, picked up that, played the first couple levels. Uh, This game kind of diverges from the past two Wolfenstein games, where there's a hub world and side missions, and kind of a fast travel system, like pseudo-open world which I thought was actually
0: a pretty cool addition into this series. Yeah. I like this map. I've been playing a lot of that game. I like this map a lot more than the hub world. The system of Wolfenstein 2 I really did not like, where I, I got why they had to do it, where you had the hub world of the submarine, and then you would go to different parts of the United States. Yeah. The hub world, that submarine was just terrible to navigate because it didn't have a fucking map. It was, so it was also... Like,
1: Everything looked the same because it was a submarine, yeah. so it was hard They'd to remember like, where things were. be like, go to this were. room.
0: I'd be like, what? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> are you sure it's in the submarine? But this one is like the Catacombs of Paris, which is a cool setting on its own, but they smartly put like 19 different exits into it so you can never be lost, and they put markers over people's heads. And also, this one is RPG leveling, and people are acting like the other ones didn't, and this one is just more streamlined because in the other games, it's all entirely skill-based, so a lot of people just didn't level up BJ in the other two games, or three games, because they did the old blood, because they didn't know that by doing achievements, you would unlock, like, <laughs> skills. So now it's just a streamlined level system. One, You play as the two daughters, right? One of them yeah. is a good character, and the other one <laughs> is not. She's like White Castle turned into a person. <laughs> like, I don't like the blonde one. She's just like a fart. A cloud of fart. It was funny, because
1: we were talking about this, and I had asked you which character you played as, and we were both just like, oh yeah, there's no reason to ever play as the other sister, yeah. because like, like even from the start, they kind of set up the dark-haired sister to be the one to play as, because she's the one yes, hanging out totally. with BJ in the beginning of the game, and Her she face with... is
0: massive on the cover of the game, yeah. and the other one is
1: not. And she starts with um, the, like, scoped rifle- <laughs> which is just a really useful weapon to have in the game. Right, so it's like an AK. Everything, everything's tipped in your favor to play as her as opposed to the other Blaskowitz sister. Um, right. I mean, it wouldn't be an issue if you're playing co-op. Like, I wouldn't have an issue switching to the other one, but yeah. um, I think if you're playing solo, the choice is obvious who
0: you're going I to just... play as people are calling it a looter shooter like professional critics and youtubers are oh, calling it that's a looter shooter 100% wrong it's that's it's objectively wrong it's not so you no it's not a looter shooter i don't i'm not even gonna try and like meet on level ground there it's just like you're fucking wrong so you're it's bad at your a, job
1: it's just an rpg first person shooter i mean it has leveling, literally if you, you show... level up the guns <laughs> and you level yeah. up your abilities <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like if you took Dishonored and mixed it with Wolfenstein, because the map is so vertical. You have a straight-up double jump, and it's really cool. The leveling system is fine. People are like, oh, I ran into an area where there was a skull enemy, so I couldn't kill it. It's like, that's happened to me one time in the seven hours I played it. (laughs) And it's the same shit people were saying about Wolfenstein 2, where they're complaining about it being too hard. It's not. You have to get headshots and use the hatchet. The hatchet is almost always either destroys the enemy's armor or it's a one-hit kill on most enemies in the game. And if you aim for weak points on enemies in a Wolfenstein game, they die so fast. No one knows this. They're like, I unloaded a shotgun 19 times in this guy's leg and he didn't die. It's like, yeah, this is a, it's a low damage point. It's, it's an FPS, dude. Like, they're, They aim for their giant head. Also,
1: um, it looks like for each gun... There's three, like, trees you can pick. One of them right. is uh, headshot True. damage. Headshots do more damage. One of them is, like, larger ammo capacity. And then I think the last one is, like... Um...
0: Triple damage. It's, like, <laughs> it's made for these people. It's triple damage. And yeah. you, to get the, that perk, you only need to have three of the seven attachments any gun has to be, one, like, like, combined with that brand. So... I don't know. I think this game is getting like unnecessarily harsh criticism. I don't know why Bethesda is the punching bag now, because they're like so they're they're experimenting with games, right? They're making stuff like Rage Two. They're making stuff like Wolfenstein: The New Order. And people are like, why aren't they just making single player games? It's like because you don't fucking buy them. Go look at the sales figures for Dishonored Two and the Death of the Outsider. Look at the sales figures for Evil Within
1: Two. Evil Evil (laughs) Within
0: Two. Evil Within One. Uh, What's what's another game like? Fucking even Rage two didn't sell that well. Like not that that was an amazing game. It was so good though. It's just people say things and then they don't necessarily know if they mean them. I think because Bethesda is consistently putting out good to great to amazing single player RPGs and shooters and just everything you want, and no one's turning up to buy them. So it's that like, fuck them for experimenting, right? <laughs> right, especially when, for a while
1: there, there was such this huge outcry where it was like, oh, the single-player game is dead, EA is going to make all the games, and no one's ever going to be play gonna be able to play by yourself on the couch anymore, and Bethesda's like, hey, I got like eight games coming out, and everyone's like, I'm sure someone would answer the call and just yeah. <laughs> fill fill this void in my heart, and they're like, we got like eight coming down the pipe, and they're like, I guess no one will help us in this time of need. <laughs>
0: They're consistently putting their games out on Switch. They're covering like this huge breadth of content. Like Fallout 76 is legitimately great now, and I will argue with anyone who says it isn't. And the Wastelanders is coming soon. Yeah, Wastelanders is adding in Fallout 3-style you know, conversation instead of the Fallout 4 garbage where it's like they stole from Mass Effect. But you mentioned <laughs> EA. I just want to mention that EA is letting this studio called Ghost Games, who is, I think, either 3-for-3 three three or 4-for-4 four four on garbage need for speed games they're making they're letting them do another one that had a trailer drop yesterday that looks fucking terrible just as bad (laughs) as all the other ones and they closed down visceral games for not being being able to make anthem 2 star wars edition so that's that's what you got going on over at ea i'm really happy about that but yeah i really like wolfenstein um i just i think it's like a great game i think it's much better than rage 2 I love, there's these giant towers called brothers first. Like it's Nazi, Nazi liberated America. BJ's daughters go from there to Nazi occupied France in the eighties. And there's, yeah, it's just such an
1: awesome setting. Yeah. Aesthetically wise. That's so cool.
0: There's a lot of cool moments just in the first mission. Um, obviously they're reusing assets from two. So it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense that in 30 years, the Nazis all still use the same (laughs) shit and look the same. Yeah, Yeah. But um, the brother towers are called raids, and they're insanely cool. Like There's platforming, there's dungeon elements, there's puzzle solving. You get new weapons in every single one. I feel like if if you play the, the intro area, I think the intro area is a little rough after you get out of the big blimp and you get into the open world. But once you realize you can double jump and you start playing it like a Dishonored game, it's so much better. Like Arcane did a great job with the map, and this is the perfect experience for that, like a $30 game. It's not a right. $60 experience. It's a $30 game. I'm totally happy for them to, you know, make a new map. And people act like they... Everyone always says, Ugh, I wish they would make expansion packs like they did in the 90s. This is as close to an expansion pack as it gets because what those were was while the the original developer was working on a new game, they would let a completely different developer take over the expansion pack, which would be a campaign-length game made with the same assets. Doom 3 had one. The What the fuck? Gearbox got their name by doing one for the original Half-Life. And this is the most, like arcane is taking over for <laughs> machine games and making an expansion pack and everyone's like complaining about it i just i don't understand it makes my brain my blood boil <sighs> it's stupid but i've also been playing doom 3 on switch that game is really good have you ever played that game no i, I haven't played that so i played it on xbox when i was younger for a little bit and it played like a horror shooter not necessarily like doom and I guess this version is based on the BFG remake they did, where they added in a ton of ammo, made sure you got all the best weapons early, and turned it into, like, Doom. So, okay. it is a really good precursor now to Doom 2016. It feels like the handheld version of that, that actually runs at 60 FPS. It has a lot of the same enemies and good graphics. Uh, that's pretty much all I've been playing. You're gonna get Fire Emblem now, right?
1: I actually just started that, so I played through the tutorial level uh picked my pick my house and that's about it i picked the uh the noble knights guys
0: the cops i did the black eagles because the goth lady runs it
1: i mean i did like her too but it was like i didn't have any information they're just like right hey, there's these three like, guys pick one. pick one so i guess i'll just have to play that game three times
0: Awesome. So I guess we can get into the news now. Uh Netflix announced that they're doing a sequel to the babysitter and Mick G is returning to Direct. So that's shooting, I guess, in October. I don't think Samara Weaving is supposed to be coming back for it, which kind of eliminates any excitement I would have. Uh what do you think of this? Um,
1: I mean I don't have really high hopes for it. I thought the first one was fun enough, like it was good to watch one time but i wouldn't really go back to it ever again. Right. That's exactly um, what i
0: said on twitter. I was like <laughs> I mean, do we need this? Like
1: uh, I mean, i guess it's good that Netflix isn't straying away from continuing to make like original horror content like movies, not just Are Honey they really House. making
0: original horror content because their most noteworthy stuff seems to be clones of other movies. Like yeah, the babysitter is, is just a clone like of every uh,
1: slasher movie. No, what was that Christmas one we watched?
0: Oh, better watch out! Yeah, yeah. it's just like it's, that.
1: <laughs> it's basically that movie.
0: Bird Box is, uh, you yeah, know, Bird Box a is place. just Quiet Place. And then they made a clone of that about the bats, the yeah. silence, the one. Yeah, you yeah that movie was terrible. It's like, and then the Open House was, you know, uh, like the boy essentially yeah. just bad.
1: Yeah, all right, you got me there. They're making bad. <laughs> bad knockoffs of their movies movies. just aren't good lately yeah i i mean i don't think netflix has really made a great standalone movie in a while i don't know
0: i'm like i'm excited for the irishman and uh zach snyder's army of the dead i'm sure that'll be fun yeah
1: um i mean it's not that all hope is lost i mean i I don't really have huge hopes for babysitter 2 because the first one was just kind of mediocre and i don't know really how they can improve it for the sequel Right. Like like thinking about it, I don't really have any ideas as to what would improve that or what I'd want to see in a sequel.
0: Gee just isn't necessarily a good director either. He did that Terminator movie that caused Christian Bale to have a meltdown on set and <laughs> he said he would never work with him again. So he's not exactly like batting a thousand or anything. He hasn't made very much good stuff. I think his like ne- claim to fame is music videos.
1: So, yeah. I don't know. That worked out so well for uh, Suicide Squad.
0: I'd rather Netflix put out an hour and a half of garbage than eight hours of garbage that I yeah, get. Yeah, I mean, I prefer
1: in. them spending money on a movie I won't watch instead of a TV show I won't watch.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I will be watching Thirteen Reasons Why next week because I'm addicted to that show. It's terrible. I feel like for the every five piece of shit CW shows you watch, I get one Thirteen Reasons Why because it has my kryptonite, which is good production value. <laughs> I'm like, fuck writing acting who cares just gotta have the production it
1: just has to look good that's it
0: so bloody disgusting called this article still searching uh i don't think that's what the movie is going to be called they're doing a sequel to searching do we review that on the show i definitely saw it i loved it i thought it was great i don't know if we talked about it on here though but yeah they're doing a sequel to that I wouldn't necessarily call that a horror movie. I would definitely call it more of a thriller, but it did have some creepy elements to it. And the whole subplot of the alien invasion was kind of cool. I think that was a better execution of the unfriended style than unfriended was because Sony and stage six were willing to like, you know, give him to give the guy who does this stuff more than $25 in a MacBook.
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought that was done. I, I don't know, I, I'm really torn, because I think, I almost think Unfriended Dark Web did it the best.
0: I love that movie. <laughs> like, that I movie think Dark so Web
1: good. nailed it so well, and had, like, a lot more creepy elements to it, that I think I like that better as this, like, computer point of view horror movie. Like, I think that kind of sits at the top right now. Yeah, um, okay, but that's I, fair. I love but, that movie, though. I, I like Searching. I thought it, it was really good, uh, well acted, John Cho was awesome in it.
0: This better um, be the same deal as Dark Web, where, like, it's new, it's just a new story. Right. Just something else. I mean, I could, <laughs> I don't know, like, I guess I
1: could see them doing another, like, missing child storyline with, yeah. like, a new family new or cast. something like that.
0: Yeah. I don't need John Cho back because he found his daughter. Like, it was very- Right. Like, that story is very much- open and shut.
1: <laughs> right. It's a full circle. Like, it, it's done by the time the movie's over. Um, yes.
0: Uh, so that'll be out probably next year. I don't think those movies take that long to make. I'm sure they take a, they're take they a bitch to edit, though, I would guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, they have to be. Whatever yeah. you have to do to like put that computer filter in has got to be very intensive, I would assume.
0: Right, so Mike Flanagan is uh, moving along on The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the new season of The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, and he says it's much scarier than The Haunting of Hill House, which I actually really like. I'm happy about that. He said, for Henry James fans, it's going to be pretty wild. And for people who aren't familiar with his work, it's going to be unbelievably scary. I think it's much scarier than season one, so I'm very excited about it. So I'm, that sounds great to me. I don't think The Haunting of Hill House was very scary. It just was really well written. It definitely had a few moments
1: that were kind of like the gotcha, it's like, like ah. big, big scare moments in the show. Uh, I mean, it, I think really what was kind of the driving force was just Not only like set design, like the house looked very creepy and looked old and decrepit, but the like ghost design was also really good and kind of kept you like on the edge of your seat because you're like, what's the next creepy thing I'm going to see?
0: I love that show. I thought that might... That's definitely one of my favorite shows ever. I've seen it through twice, which I don't do ever. I (laughs) I loved it. I loved going back through and looking for all the ghosts and stuff.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I thought that was definitely a really strong season. I would say that's probably mike flanagan's strongest work so far yeah Uh, definitely so i'd be you know i'm really happy that he's coming back for another season of this um new storyline i I think didn't they say something about uh bringing back some of the same actors from uh, yeah a few of them have already
0: been cast I wouldn't be surprised if you saw someone like Lulu Wilson or really anyone else from the cast because he loves bringing back the same people. Maybe even we'll get like Kieran Gillian or something because he loves her. He like really likes working with her and he likes bringing back people like Carlo Giugino. You know, he always goes for the same people, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that. I like the American Horror Story approach, but like with people who are talented and not opportunistic <laughs> behind the camera, right. <laughs> you know, in the script. Uh, I've been watching all the teasers for American Horror Story 1984, and you can tell that they made it because F- Disney went into Fox and was like, "Yeah, we're cutting the budget for this show in half." And <laughs> it was not—it's not coming from like a a place of fandom. It doesn't seem like it's just like. No. Oh, well, guess uh, we can ride this one out with, uh, yeah, the burning and with some camp, like
1: some '80s cash grab. I don't know
0: cgi knife in the first teaser it's a real good way to sell horror fans in your show yeah um but i'm excited for the haunting of blind manor i hope that's out i hope they if it's not out this october which i don't see how it could be i hope they hold it until next halloween season because that was a great release time for the first season of the show
1: yeah really set the mood it was just a great creepy show to watch uh in the hollow halloween season
0: they could turn so. The Blair Witch Project into a really cool show, like anthology yeah, style. Definitely. You could do such cool things with that. I'm sure that'll be a thing if the game is a hit, which comes out in mm, two weeks. Pretty excited yep. for that. 15 so, days. everyone was kind of worried about, us included, what was going to be happening with Christopher Landon after Happy Death Day to You, for some reason, didn't make any money. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's working on a new horror movie for Blumhouse, and uh, it's not like announced officially yet no you just i mean we have they just have a details. title oh, no they don't even have a title they just have plot details are vague but sources say that it will focus on a killer who wreaks havoc in a small town that sounds like a blow is going to all in on true crime i noticed that they're doing a true crime documentary they are definitely about to start a true crime podcast like mark my words this sounds like a, a mind hunter light type movie it's cheap to make you know yeah I I mean, I
1: think he did a really good job with the first few Happy Death Days. I know you're also a huge fan of those, so I'm happy. Happy Death Day
0: 2 is so good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just happy to see that he's getting more work, that Blumhouse, you know, might have killed his series, but they're not giving up on him, and they're still giving him more opportunities. That's the cool thing
0: about Jason Blum. He, like, doesn't hold the failure of a movie against the person who created it.
1: It's very giving, man. Very nice person.
0: I'm not excited for Ma 2 if that happens. (laughs) I don't think we need a Ma 2. I don't know. I don't know if we need a Ma 2 or not. Why did you put this Venom 2 story on here? (laughs) Because Andy Serkis is officially
1: the director of Venom 2.
0: People are acting like that's such a big deal. He hasn't directed a good movie. Like, he's not a director. He's like a CGI actor and he's not playing Venom. Tom Hardy does all the Venom stuff. Yeah. Like, what is he bringing to the table? The problem with Venom wasn't how it looked. It was the fact that they Tom Hardy acted, for some reason, like something was wrong with him. <laughs> and every every single other character in that movie was horribly miscast. And they shot it to be an R-rated movie and then gutted it like they did with Slenderman. Like, none of that said, hey, let's bring on a new director to me. Right. You know? <laughs> Who's I not... Know like a skilled director He's not a director that. he's just a guy who knows
1: mocap really well
0: not to diminish the fact that he's good at making cgi creatures and stuff that's really cool and he's a great actor i just oh, don't he's... think this is the shot in the arm that i mean he's are. probably the best mocap actor that we have like i just i'm not willing to give sony any sort of benefit of the doubt which for some reason some people seem to be happy to do i like no, no i mean <laughs> <it's>, it just
1: <laughs> seems really weird like, I get why they would want to pick someone like Andy Serkis, because it would drum up some buzz, and people might come back and be like, oh yeah, that Venom 1 sure wasn't good, but maybe since they have this guy who knows uh, the suit, how to like make things look good on screen, uh, <laughs> right. it, it'll be good. So I don't know, it, it seems like a stretch definitely to have him be the director of this, but I, I mean, I think it might maybe make some scenes look better, maybe make some fight choreography better,
0: I don't know. Do you think uh, the first Venom was kind of lightning in the bottle? I, like I don't, I don't know anyone who saw it at all. Like I don't know a single person who saw it. It made huge money. It was it like made a like five hundred million dollars. At least it made a ton of money. Yeah. So do you think it was like lightning in the bottle, where like people were like, "I gotta go out and see my boy Venom." I don't think anyone is turning up to see Carnage in a PG thirteen movie where he's played by, uh, what's that guy's name? Who's the guy in Zombieland? Why am I forgetting his name?
1: Um, Jesse Eisenberg? (laughs) Woody Harrelson?
0: Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Did you see the the end credits scene of Venom where he's carnage? No. So he's wearing like a Ronald McDonald wig. But it's supposed to be his hair. That's good. (laughs) That sounds excellent. You think a lot of people are going to turn up to check that out?
1: Yeah, probably. I think they're going to come in droves. It's going to make five hundred one million dollars.
0: What about uh, Jared Leto as Mobius Morbius, the living vampire? Do you think people are going to turn up for that?
1: No, but I think that is good casting. <laughs> like honestly, I think that is pretty good casting.
0: Okay, that's fair. I I just don't trust Sony to make a movie like anything that the the Twenty One Jump Street guys do. Chris Lord and Phil Miller. I might have reversed their names. That's fine because those dudes get a blank check for you know producing Spider Verse and the Lego Movie and everything. Yeah, but literally anything else <laughs> is garbage, like straight trash. The bad switch port of Slender the Arrival is better than the entirety of Slenderman the movie. <laughs> uh, but we got to talk about some good stuff next, George. So, season two of Netflix's Mind Hunter. Is investigating the Atlanta child murders, which is funny because that dude that you showed me, the podcast Up and Vanished, his second season is like all about these Atlanta child murders. And that's the one where everyone was like, I used to like this show, but then the guy got a massive ego. (laughs) Now I can't listen (laughs) anymore. But um, this is really coming in hot. It's coming out on August 16th, which is very soon. It's exploring the Atlanta child murders, which are a series of real-life killings between 1979 and 81. At least 28 African-American children, teenagers, and adults were killed during that time. So, uh, everyone's coming back for the show. David Fincher's doing the intro and the finale. They're also going to be looking into uh, Charles Manson and the Son of Sam. Sam I am. The Son of Sam. I like that last podcast arc. What do you think <laughs> we you want to watch Mindhunter?
1: Oh, for sure. I, I I think Mindhunter might be my favorite show on Netflix. It's definitely up there. It, it's it's up like there. It's for sure one of their best shows that they make, which isn't yeah. necessarily saying a lot, but <laughs> this is really good.
0: Recently, I'm really excited I want Ozark to come back. I feel like this show and Ozark are linked together in the in terms of cinematography and color grading. I, yeah. I like I like what they're doing there.
1: I'm definitely really excited for it, and I think um, having more high-profile killers like Charles Manson and Son of Sam will be cool to see how they adapt them in this show.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I just want to see it already. It's been a long time. It's been over two years, or almost two years, since that show came out. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a, a long time since I watched the first season, but... I don't understand why they don't market their shit. Like, you knew it was coming out. Like, you knew it was done. Like, Advertise and or why don't they way. just
1: hold it back till october and then do yeah. a big like halloween push
0: right and it's like there's reasons do... why they did the same shit they were like it's coming out uh, end of the year and then they were like just kidding it's coming out august 16th <laughs> it's like what
1: because i could have sworn they did uh netflix tried to do like a big horror push last year where they were like mm-hmm. these are all of our scary stuff we're doing in october and Th-
0: that'd be it's... cool if that became a tradition it wasn't yeah. just a one-off event of garbage. <laughs> and so it
1: seems like that they could have done that with this, and they would have actually had a decent show on their hands to include in that.
0: They're too busy making 40 more episodes of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina.
1: Oh, baby.
0: Remember when they sold everyone on the second half of season one as a season two? Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. Anyways, <laughs> speaking of trash, Rob Zombie's Three From Hell, uh, some official images came out i keep like going from hype to like what's going on it's so, like hype to what's going on. like this movie comes out at the end of september and i feel like the only source of anything is rob zombie's instagram <laughs> but like apparently these it are is weird fictions... that he
1: like the only way to keep up to date with this movie is to follow rob zombie on instagram and like on a tuesday at 4 p.m
0: he'll be like here's
1: the trailer
0: yeah uh the images are cool Like, yeah, Uh, I mean, it looks like
1: it's at least shot well, like the cinematography seems like it's got a decent budget, Um, you know, we still got the characters
0: that we've come to know, know and love coming back. And Richard Brake. Everyone's really and excited Richard about Break. Richard Brake. Uh, every single tweet. It's like, where's Richard Brake? I this guy <sighs> must have- I think this he was like a really pivotal character in 31, and he was like the most impressive aspect of that movie. So, so people are just like fucking obsessed with him now. Uh he's the third of the three from hell because Sid Haig is really old, so he can be in a lot of the movie. So they kind of just have this new guy coming in. He, he's like a cool looking guy. I don't know. I think he's cool. You know what's kind of weird? At that Midsummer Scream convention, uh, Chop Top Bill Mosley always goes, that dude is jacked for how mm-hmm. old he is. A. B. Don't know why you know, like Felissa Rose. She's at the Fangoria booth with most of the cast of Chopping Mall. Elvira has a massive booth. Uh, Bill Mosley is sharing a booth with a, like porn company. <laughs> it's like Sluts and guts, the horror porn girls, sharing a table with Bill Mosley. So it was like three from hell on one side, and porn on the other. And you could just go up and talk to him. It was, <laughs> like I felt like he should have a huge booth. You know, he's chop top. Right. He's Otis. a beloved
1: character from yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too.
0: And Felissa Rose is awesome, and she's famous for one movie. But you know, One he's, great a, he's movie, got though. it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect horror movie. <laughs> but he's famous for two very iconic characters, you know?
1: Yeah, really strange. Not quite sure uh, how that works, but
0: you put the poster for American Horror Story on here. It looks okay. I'd say like they tried a little bit. They made that CGI knife look real this time. I mean you can see what they're going for. You can see this on a VHS box.
1: In Blockbuster in 1993.
0: Yeah. I like the logo.
1: The logo's cool. You can see that they're trying to invoke this like. Old school slasher. But. It's hard to look at this. And we've seen the costumes. And we've seen. The trailers and stuff. And it's just. It just. You know it's going to be so low budget. And not good. Yeah, That it's hard to get your hopes up for anything. Even if the poster they released looks pretty good
0: it does the classic kill from uh what's it called oh it's in the burning and sleepaway camp where the girl's taking the shower i saw a clip and uh the guy comes up in broad daylight and cuts it's just not shot right like it's not shot close (laughs) up it's not shot in a way that makes you believe that this guy could be walking around the camp that they're at in broad daylight and uh, commit something like an act like this without being seen by everyone um it comes out next week though the first episode so we could just like we'll watch the first episode we'll talk about it next week are we going to commit to the first episode at least i'll watch
1: first episode i mean i'd say of any of the seasons of the show this one is the one that's got me most interested
0: that's yeah yeah i'm i'm okay with that i i feel like that's true i like the witch one I think the, it peaked at the witch one. Season 3, Coven. That was great. Season 2 had aliens. It had the Ed Gein character at the Mental Insane Asylum. It had Adam, uh, the guy from Maroon 5, I forgot his last name, getting his arm ripped off. All of that was cool. And then after season 3, I was like, okay, I'm done. And now we're on like <laughs> season 40, right? I think it might be 41. It's the longest running show on TV. <laughs> Anyways... Most importantly here, pumpkin spice lattes, George. We love them. We, we got to know when they come back every year. August 27th, we're going to be able to walk into a Starbucks, 100 degrees outside here in good old Los Angeles, pick up a pumpkin spice latte, d- drink that sucker down, and feel the orange goo that they use to flavor that concoction flow through our veins. <laughs> I can't wait, honestly. I can't either. I legitimately get excited for the pumpkin spice season. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, I like a pumpkin spice latte,
1: I think they're delicious, but really it's more so, they're like, synonymous with the best time of year. Like, yeah. they're a delicious drink, which I like, and I like to have one or two, or several, or a hundred. Too many. Too, too, too many. many. Too many. But, <laughs> it's more of like, I gotta it's go. synonymous with the autumn is started, and we're about to get to the best time of the year.
0: Yeah, um... I really like Oktoberfest beer. I like, you know, spiced apple cider, like caramel apple cider. They don't have that in California. So the middle ground between that for me is pumpkin spice lattes. I really make a whole big thing about it when I can just get that on the first day. And then I drink them so much that I become sick of them. <laughs> then they reintroduce the peppermint mocha and I'm, I am coast on that till the end of the year. Well,
1: there you go. Now you know when to start your Starbucks plans, August 27th.
0: Yep. Um, also, there's a new movie called The Haunt coming out. It's from the two guys who wrote A Quiet Place, but they also directed it. The trailer looked like pretty sub. like just standard. Looks like a standard horror movie where people go to a haunted house and then the people inside of it become murderers. But it looks like a good way for them to crack their knuckles and enter the directing world. And all the mask design in it was really cool. So I thought we should mention that. Did you watch that trailer? Yeah, I think it looks
1: pretty good. I- it looks better. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I. Would expect it to be good because I like a quiet place, but I thought it looked really good. Yeah. Um, looked visually creepy. Um, it, it almost looks like it's going to be like a slightly better Hellfest. Something yeah. with a little bit higher production values. It still has like the mass killers that are in this, you know, kind of mundane place. You go to a haunted house, but there's a real killer in it, kind of the same premise. Um, but it just looks like they're taking it a little more seriously, whereas Hellfest kind of played it on the chin a little bit
0: that's another one where i'm like did we talk about that i think we did i
1: think we definitely talked about uh, hell
0: i saw it in theaters drunk as shit <laughs> that made it a lot more fun <laughs> that was cool i like that movie but yeah i'm really excited for haunt it comes out pretty soon um the next thing on here is kind of a bummer but also it has an upside it's like a an neg and then you get the The positive after that so neil blomkamp we've been really excited to know what's going on with that robocop sequel that he was making from the script for a robocop sequel that was written during the writers strike way back in the 80s he's been kind of quiet on it and then now yesterday on twitter he was just like i'm off robocop i'm shooting a new horror movie and mgm can't wait and they need to shoot robocop now i am excited to watch it in theaters with other fans dude mgm is fucked man (laughs) That's all that says. If they can't wait for Neil Blomkamp, the guy who's the only person I'd feel happy trusting a RoboCop movie with, if they can't wait for him to finish a horror movie, which, like, how long does that take to turn around, honestly? They, like, they're fucked. They, right. they obviously didn't make enough money on Child's Play. Their last-ditch effort was RoboCop, and they're throwing the only thing that could really make that movie great in the gutter. It's just like, Yeah, I mean,
1: that's the weird thing, right? Is it's like... If you need the RoboCop movie, wouldn't you prefer it to be a good RoboCop movie as opposed to just getting, like, whatever director will sign on to do it last minute (laughs) now? Like, the last RoboCop remake?
0: Right. That was terrible. It's literally like, well, well, we have some goodwill left? Are you... Wait, we do? We gotta get rid of that. (laughs) (laughs) got way too much of that after Child's Play. I, like, forgot Child's Play even happened. The movie's not even, like, three months old, and I'm just tired. Like, when I think about it, I want to go to bed. Just how much excitement and pain we put into that movie and how little return there was on it. I really wish MGM's big return went better, but I can't say I'm surprised, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think this was destined like neither of us really expected the child's play movie to be excellent like anything more than mediocre i guess the
0: entire plot the minute was announced
1: (laughs) so i don't know like i think that this was kind of like too good to be true moment so there's no way they were going to actually make a good robocop movie and so they wanted to pull the rug out from under us and but but at least uh Neil Blomkamp is making a a new horror movie that we can hopefully sink our teeth into.
0: Yeah, the disclaimer here is that I hope I'm wrong in my, like, uh, you know skepticism about mgm putting together anything worthwhile with robocop obviously i want that to be good because robocop is one of my favorite movies of all time but robocop 2 isn't bad like it's a pretty fucking cool movie it goes from you know being a parody of westerns in the first movie to being a full-on like 80s movie it's like parodying the 80s it's awesome robocop's got that uh that new galaxy note 10 color on his armor (laughs) it's just like it's cool so (laughs) If you're going to remake, if you're going to make RoboCop 2 from the original script, you better make that the best fucking movie you can. That's why they put Neil Blomkamp on it in the first place. And then now they're like, no, we won't wait for you to film a horror movie. But the silver lining here, he is doing a horror movie. I'm excited for that. I want to know what that is because remember Zygo and all those Sweet Oats Studios things he did with the Unity engine? Imagine what he's going to do with money.
1: Definitely. Uh, I mean, I think whatever he's going to make is going to be cool. I just kind of wish he was able to make both of them whatever this new project is and the robocop movie
0: yeah me too so the last thing on here i guess kind of you know is a great jumping off point for our review but scary stories to tell in the dark came out last weekend and we were kind of worried for it honestly just because of when it was coming out and how little hype and marketing there seemed to be but it pulled in 20.8 million dollars over its opening weekend uh and its projection was like 10 million bucks so that's great that's so much better than anyone thought it would do it definitely made its money back and since spoiler kind of not really it ends on a cliffhanger like sort of or it leaves things open for a sequel i don't want to call it a cliffhanger because it's actually satisfying uh that's good i think i think that's really good that it made that much money because overseas is probably gonna you know push this up into the big profit zone
1: yeah i mean it's it's cool that this was something that didn't have a ton of advertising it was kind of Uh, Like it had a Super Bowl ad, and then it had like a couple trailers, but it mostly flew under the radar until it was released. Uh, They put all their
0: eggs in that basket, that Super Bowl trailer, right? That was super smart, in my opinion. That worked out really well for them. You know, it really just got people's attention, and they rode that out from February until August, and that's like that's no small feat. So CBS Films, they put out Hellfest last year, but they came back swinging with scary stories to tell in the dark uh i i don't want to talk about our opinions on it until we get into the review segment so we will be right back we're going to take a quick break and we'll talk about scary stories to tell in the dark All right, we're back from our quick break, and this week we're reviewing Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which ended up being the movie to kick off the Halloween season since they did not advertise this, but it takes place during and after Halloween in Pennsylvania. So you get those nice fall leaves. You get a great kids horror movie. This is a really good gateway horror movie. I had a great time with it. I went to an early screening. Guillermo del Toro was there. Andre Overdahl was there. I was like, hey, guys, what's up from the back row, and everyone was like, shut up. Uh, and then watched the movie, I was really impressed. I went in with low expectations. They were met and exceeded by a mile. What did you think of this movie? I liked it. Um, I thought it was pretty good.
1: So I- I'd say, so if I'm starting off with things I liked about it, uh, I thought it really does nail the autumn feel extremely well. There were times where it, like, sucked me into the, the actual... Halloween season, like it makes you feel like as if you're living in October when you're watching this. Right, movie like point. the
0: costume design. Yeah, they shot it in the fall. They they legitimately shot it in the fall, which is like, oh my god, you guys did it! Thank <laughs> you so much. That's just so good. I love it. Uh, Pennsylvania is a great setting for this town in Mill Valley. The haunted house segment was great. That house looks like a haunted house. Yeah, I definitely. Thought that was awesome
1: set design was amazing. The hot ha- the house was really cool. Um. The different places they go to, like the hospital and um, the cornfield. Everything just felt very real. Felt like they shot all this in a small town that had all these things already there.
0: So the movie follows this girl named Stella. She's played by uh, Zoe Coletti and she does a great job as this character she's like a horror fan in 1968 which is a great time period that's apparently hot right now because we've had annabelle comes home once upon a time in hollywood and (laughs) now this exploring that time period all in the same year which is great uh she has a group of friends one of them is named augie one of them is named chuck and they meet this guy ramon who is uh, a draft dodger and he's a Mexican guy. So he's going drifting from town to town, following the harvest. This movie did not pull any punches in that sense. There's Nazi iconography. It shows you Nixon being elected into office. Like, this movie is really trying to make a statement about hate. I thought it was really well done. You know, it was just background noise, not necessarily, like, forced or hand fisted in any way. It really put you in the time period. I thought that yeah, was cool. Cast was 60s. awesome. The, act- the actors who played all these kids were awesome. The problem was the kid who played Ramon, who definitely has the most emotional story out of all these kids. That dude was like
1: stiff as a board just the entire movie. It in man, like <laughs> totally I don't flat. know what the hell's
0: going on. He's terrible. He, he looks like he's gonna kill them all. They, they're trying to make him the sympathetic character. He's supposed to feel bad for him, but he's just like constantly just like staring at people. He never really has a humanizing moment. You learn everything about him through telling instead of showing. I just didn't like, I liked his arc. I didn't like the actor and the performance he gave. And it was really harsh in contrast to everyone else in this movie who was bringing their A-game, you know? Right. But um, I, I thought they did a great job bringing the stories to life, especially the monsters. They, they really understood that you can't just adapt the stories. You need to make sure that the monster design is exactly how it is in the book. And they delivered there 100%.
1: Yeah, I thought that the actual adaptations of the stories they did, I think there's like like four main adaptations of stories, and then there's like two kind of like half ones, like the very last part of the third act kind of splits into two. Yes. Um, But I thought that they did a, like a way better job than I even thought would be possible of taking the monsters from those stories and making them real, like th- when they existed in the universe of the movie, they looked exactly as they do in the art in the books, which I thought was not only, like, really cool they were able to do that, but it fits in the world so well, and it's cool that you're hearing these stories that you're familiar with from reading them as a kid, that that, like, was a really excellent adaptation of the source material.
0: The toe person, the big toe lady, she got kind of gypped for how much work went into making that costume. I understand that you can't really do a whole lot with her story. The problem is people are complaining about how little screen time some of the monsters got, but Uh, the stories that they're pulling from are three to four pages max, 16 to 18, maybe even 20-sized font. So it's like you don't want to stretch out the stories because then you're adding in your own shit, which would make people mad. So the Toe story was great because they put so much effort into the costume, but that was the one where I would have liked to see more of the monster. So I get the fine line they were walking there. Also, the pale lady I thought was incredible. She was just, like, awesome. The way that they adapted a nightmare story where this lady's visiting you in your nightmares. They made a nightmare sequence where every hallway you turn down, she's there in some fashion, and And you're met in the middle.
1: I mean, I thought that, like, the scares in this movie were definitely really good. There's some legitimately really creepy, terrifying imagery in this movie like some legitimately nightmare inducing shit if you're (laughs) like especially since like you were saying earlier this kind of feels like a kid's kind of first introduction to a horror movie like while I was watching this I kind of felt like this was kind of like Goosebumps 2.0 like it's kind of the Mm -hmm. elevation of the the first Goosebumps movie that came out with Jack Black because we have like (laughs) it's like goosebumps with practical effects right it's like the storybook and it brings to life these monsters and the monsters are like coming after the people who read it and stuff so it's like you could kind of it's a similar structure but this is Mm -hmm. definitely like way harder on the horror like the monsters look legitimately scary the settings are like more terrifying everything about it is like just ramped up a notch
0: yeah the scarecrow kills the first one Harold. Harold, like, the book story, there's no way that could have made it into this movie, and I think they would have been hard-pressed to put something like that in even an R-rated movie, where he, you know, skins these people and tans their fucking skins on the roof. The way that they changed it is perfect. They made a body horror segment, where he stabs this kid with the... I thought it was crazy, when you see the pitchfork go through the kid, the bully, Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, the PG-13 movie, you're seeing the, like, pitchfork go through the kid they're and then, like, the straw starts coming out of him, and I'm like, oh, shit, they're going for body aura? Like, is that allowed? I think the only reason they were able to do that and keep it PG-13 was because there was no blood. And replacing the blood with straw was just like, ugh. It's like genius. Yeah, stroke of genius right there. Yeah, there was, it was a great start. The big toe one was a little too short. I, the jangling man was awesome. Just the way that they made they adapted that story with the dog talking, I was like, that's great. The head rolls down the, the chimney. That was just... It was great. The CGI moments that they had to do CGI looked really good to me, too. And the practical stuff just came off without a hitch, in my opinion. The problem that this movie has for me is that we just got Annabelle Comes Home. And the... You know, the those movies are kind of like if you combine them, you'd get the perfect movie. Because... The monster stuff in Annabelle Comes Home was slightly lacking since the werewolf was CGI'd right. over the practical suit, and the rest of the monsters barely like kind of took a backseat to the story. But the main story was kind of lacking in scary stories to tell in the dark, you know? Yeah, that, it was I mean, very standard. Yeah,
1: so I I thought that the stories were adapted well, but I thought that like the pacing of the main story really dragged. And I thought that the overarching they story did my fucking thing I hate, good. where they go to the old
0: lady. Yeah. In con- so they I, have. I they bitch did about the exact the same
1: thing in Truth or Dare when they go to and the old every lady. Every <laughs> other horror movie, dude, yeah. like
0: Insidious, it happens in Insidious. Yeah. They turn her into a character, so it's hard to complain about that. But Ouija did it too, and I'm sure there's 500 other movies I'm forgetting where it's like they have to go find some old, you know, voodoo princess or right. like some. This mildly racist and or poorly written character and be like what happens like how do we beat the ghost and then right, right before tell they me tell exposition them they character, die it's like,
1: it's like so they can on. sit there and be like t- spoon feed you the story that they're you know and i mean the movie clocks in at like just under two hours like an hour and 50 minutes which right i, I mean it felt long it, it felt long to me like there were definitely really long lulls in the movie where nothing it takes really a while happened for the plot to
0: kick in I would say, like, the main story. It's like, what's going on here? It takes a while for them to get to the house. And I get that they want to introduce the characters, but you can kind of introduce Zoe, Chuck, and Augie at the same time because they're a unit. They spent way too long hovering on the introduction of Ramon. It's like... they—they, I understand that they were trying to play off of, like, you know, racist tendencies at that time. But just the way that these kids instantly accept this person that they have no idea who this guy is like no clue he just shows up in town and they're like oh yeah you're in our friend group now they never question this guy's motives or anything like that i understand that they're trying to make a statement about you should be more accepting of people and that's like something you kind of have to you know put in front of a kid's face for them yeah. to really get it right i just i don't think that was well written it's it was just kind of odd. You know, it's like, oh, do you live in your car? And then he's like, doesn't answer. Right. I would circle back on that question. He ends up having a Switchblade when you make a joke about it. Oh, Again, I would circle back on why this guy is a Switchblade. He takes your best friend, who's a girl, into a basement alone. It's like, I would circle back on, like, <laughs> what, what's, you know, it's like, you don't know this guy. You don't right. know who he is. And you all. met him
1: that night. You're leaving him alone with, like, your closest female friend in this house that's, like, legitimately creepy and haunted.
0: You get the payoff, though, with his brother, I guess, when they're in jail later in the movie. That whole story. I also, speaking of that, I liked how every kill tied into a character trait. Like, the Augie guy was upset that his mom didn't you know leave them food so then they play off of that upsetness with leaving the stew in the fridge the guy gets upset when his mom hugs him so that's what happens in his nightmare that was a really smart way to
1: kind of connect each character with this with each story where and i thought that was just done really well where they were able to like weave the stories into the narrative and make it make sense in the context of the universe but i just thought that like You're kind of sitting there waiting for the next story to start throughout the movie. And there's long periods where you're not getting the next one.
0: Yeah, totally. I I like the idea of the book not being able to be burned or anything or they can't get rid of it. It shows up back on a shelf. I thought that was cool. It's like, now you're stuck with me. It's like this movie literally is if someone put time and effort into making a good final destination for kids. Really? Yeah. I mean, I I know the books picking them off.
1: like as a kid's horror movie you don't get any better than this like this is definitely like a 10 out of 10 in terms of if you have a a younger sibling or a small child and you want to introduce them to horror and you want them to be interested i think this would definitely grab a lot of kids attention and keep them on the edge of their seat and get them interested in the genre as a whole
0: i thought it was really scary though like i legitimately it scared the shit out of me in a good way. And I will watch this before trick-or-treat. Like, I will watch this, and the second the credits roll in this movie, I'm going right into trick-or-treat. Like, they feel like they're connected, you know? It's 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 like a waveform, where it starts at the bottom, and it works its way up like a roller coaster, and then trick-or-treat ends right at the top of the roller coaster. Yeah. And then we watch Halloween.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this definitely, I think, would be a very welcome addition to anybody's yearly Halloween rotation, where... If you're looking for a couple, you know, Halloween anthologies short stories to put on, maybe put like Season of the Witch on, then do this, then do Trick or Treat, then do Halloween. Like I think this definitely fits into the like marathon of Halloween themed scary stories. Like it, it nails that without question.
0: Yeah. And for a movie that went through so many writers, I know it went through it says that Dan Hagerman wrote it, right? And Guillermo There's, like, four Toro. Other credits. I just picked one. because. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro story credit. The people, I guess, who originally wrote the script are Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, which you know their names if you watch my YouTube channel because they're the guys who wrote uh, Halloween Returns. They're the guys who wrote, like, every Saw sequel. They wrote The Collector. You know, they, they were really prolific for the early 2000s era where, go- like, torture porn and stuff like My Bloody Valentine 3D was invoked. But... Uh, I feel like we've left their style of horror movie behind, you know, where they felt like yeah. they just go over the top. You know how Platinum Dunes ushered in this era of horror by doing the Friday the 13th remake and the Texas Chainsaw remake and then Texas Chainsaw the right. beginning. They kind of like set the tone for the rest of the decade along with Quentin Tarantino, you know, shepherding in a Hostel and stuff like that. And I just I don't feel like we need their their brand of horror right now. And you can tell that this movie started out with them, or they don't necessarily care about the the friend subplot. So I'd assume that's what Dan Hagerman and Guillermo del Toro really workshopped. They were like, how do we fix the, the, right, how the, we meet, work the meat back, of the movie?
1: Right, work that back into that being like the heart and soul. Especially since, like you said, this movie doesn't end necessarily on a cliffhanger, but it definitely is open to a sequel if they ever, you know... If this movie does well enough to where they feel it warrants a sequel, they could definitely pick up the story where it left off.
0: I would bet money on this movie getting a sequel, and I would also bet money on it being significantly better because it's not being passed from person to person. It's not right. Gonna be, you have
1: one, yeah, one singular person's vision on it the whole time. They'll take it from start to finish. They know it's a you know money making series, and that if they have the right person on on deck, hopefully Guillermo del Toro would come back and do because I was and do some of the like practical effects or some of the bigger horror scenes. Cause you, you could definitely feel his like presence when any of the monsters come on screen.
0: Right. He did a good job with the character design and it's kind of like the days gone to days gone too. Like I have a good feeling about days gone too, but it, it doesn't erase the fact that days gone one went through so much development hell, you know? Right. But for the cards, they were dealt. They played a good hand with this one, in my opinion. I gave it a four star out of uh, five on Letterboxd.
1: I gave it a three and a half.
0: Okay. I mean, like that's a great score, too. So, I think it's very easy to recommend this movie to anyone to go see it in the movie theater because uh, it's kicking off the Halloween season.
1: Like, I honestly wish I could see it in October.
0: Yeah, it won't see in theaters that long. Right. But, me too, like, when I come home for our friend's wedding at the end of the month it'd be really cool to go see this <laughs> hopefully something's out we can go see speaking of like october season you know yeah we're i paid, some cool stuff
1: yeah i haven't paid super close attention to what's actually coming out in october but um if this was even on like vod or something right then i think this would be something fun to throw on and watch like while it's actually that season while the i heard the um and everything
0: the, you know that movie that came out last year with Jack Black and Kate Blanchett, The House with the Clock in Its Walls? Yeah. That yeah. takes place in Michigan for some reason? Um, that movie is set around Halloween. I, I'm gonna check that movie out, and that might be a fun one for us to check out. We also have to watch Satan's Little Helper. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, obviously. The classic, the hit film. I, I forgot about that movie, and then I've been making a playlist on Letterboxd of movies that are set in fall, like mm-hmm. a like a list, and I was I, I titled it like horror movies set in fall slash around Halloween if you want to go check it out. I'm just trying to add stuff to it for the inevitability of making a video about that, like my top five Halloween <laughs> horror movies. You know like, what I mean? Right. And I, I Googled fall horror movies, and that came right up. It was top of the list. So I definitely want to check that one out.
1: Yeah, I'll bust out my uh, DVD triple pack I had to buy it in off Amazon.
0: <laughs> cool, man. So... <laughs> That's all I got for uh, this week's show. I hope you guys like the improved audio quality. We also implemented a new feature. This is like the nerd section where we can video chat so we don't talk over each other as much. And there's less dead air in between us speaking and responding to each other because we're not just waiting for the other person to stop talking. <laughs> so if you like that, let us know on Twitter. I'm at Jimmy Champagne. George is at George Frazard. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Jimmy Champagne. I think that's about it. You got anything else, George?
1: No, that's all I have.